Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. So this episode is completely different. Actually, it's not even an EU VC episode. We've just launched our first partner podcast, The Next Gen VC, which is hosted by Audrey and Ved. The podcast is a from Gen Z to Gen Z and all about how to break into VC. So give it a listen. And if you don't think it's for you, share it with someone else. This is Next Gen VC, a podcast from Gen Z to Gen Z. My name is Audrey. And I'm Zach. We aim to be the transparent window into the mysterious world of VCs and startups through authentic conversations with the very individuals that make them. Twice monthly, we will be inviting everyone from first-time founders and analysts who've just landed their first role in VC to massively successful founders, managing partners of billion-dollar funds, and even the mysterious LPs behind them. We are also here to present a Gen Z perspective. What do Gen Z founders today need differently? What does working as a VC analyst really involve? What does progression look like? And are there better alternatives to VCs? Through our diverse guest lineup, we hope to show you as many perspectives as we can. We're not afraid to ignite debate, as we're here to answer your burning questions simply because we have the very same ones. Stay tuned for episodes coming out soon. For our very first episode, we're excited to be joined by Michelangelo. Michelangelo is an early stage investor at Stride VC, who's invested in the likes of Kazoo, Zephyr, and Unibuddy. Before Stride, Michelangelo interned at PayPal and Weira, Telefonica's Accelerator, and was also a student partner at Entrepreneur First. With his contagious energy and love for acting, Michelangelo is one of the very few people we know that broke into VC straight out of university. Before we get on with the episode, we want to direct your attention to our upcoming fireside on raising VC funds in certain times. Just hit up our LinkedIn page and register for the LinkedIn Live on June the 7th, 3 p.m. Central European time. Michael Angelo, we are so thrilled to have you on our podcast. We'd love to start by hearing a bit more about your background story. What was life as Michael Angelo like before you dive into the world of venture? Hello, I'm super, super happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I come from a really small town north of Italy, actually on the verge of Switzerland. So I grew up essentially in Switzerland, going to school in Switzerland. So I'm supposed to be able to speak four languages, but that's definitely not the case. I lost my German and French, unfortunately. But I come from a family of musicians. My parents are classical musicians. So you can imagine that my way of rebelling myself is becoming a finance guy, which is a bit atypical. Usually it's the parents that are very, very structured and the son that goes away, but or the daughter. Yeah, this case was a different. So my parents are musicians. I grew up in the arts. I, I did a lot, a lot of acting. And I actually thought, you know, at some point, I actually want to become an actor. That was my plan. It was what I wanted to do. And I was super, super passionate about it. And I came to London also because of it. And then I realized that I not only was I only getting Italian roles, which was extremely infuriating, but also that it was there was so much more. And I started exploring. I did my undergrad course and I fell in love with the world of startups. I did as many internships in incubators, accelerators. I tried a few startups. Most of them didn't really go as planned. With one of them, we actually 
took off a little bit. I mean, took off is a big word, but we started getting a few interested potential customer and a little bit of initial revenue, but I fell out of love with it because in order to get that revenue, we had to pivot so many times. So I fell out of love with the product and I decided to leave. I also had a podcast, which is called Almost Founders, where we were interviewing really experienced entrepreneurs and senior in the industry and trying to break down the simplest topics for aspiring student entrepreneurs. And so I did that for a while. And on one of the podcasts, I got to interview Fred Destin, which is the founder of Stride VC. So you can imagine the jump to Stride, how it happened. So I, I interviewed with him. I, I, we talked about traction and it was an amazing interview. I was super, super fascinated by how this man portrayed himself and the whole industry it was captured straight away. I kept the relationship going and then he brought up that he was looking for someone to join the firm. Now it's been around six months I've been astride and thoroughly enjoying it. That's really amazing, Michelangelo. And maybe before we go into a bit more about Stride, I think it's really interesting you mentioned you have an artistic background. Do you think that has shaped how you interact with founders or think about venture capital in general? Yeah, yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, it shaped my... So a lot of venture capital is just bringing your own personality and try to come up with an understanding of how the world is shaping up. So in the decision-making process, when we decide whether to invest in a startup or not, there's a lot of our own personal biases that come into play, not just negatively, but also positively. So a lot of our personal previous experiences, frameworks, mental models, and so on. So I definitely think my artistic background, which by the way, we call it background, but it's more of an imprinting, I would say, because, you know, I did music for quite a while, but I wasn't a musician, so I never became one. I did acting for quite a while, but I never became a proper actor. So. I can't properly say it's an artistic background, but I definitely had an artistic imprinting. And so I think that definitely shaped the way I see things nowadays. And I like to think that it probably allowed me a bit more flexibility, a bit more sort of trying not to be so corporate, so structured, so within the rules. And I think I'm very lucky that Stride is also a firm that really allows that and is actually very much pro that. So being just yourself and not following the stigma or all the bullshit, excuse my French, that goes into venture capital and startups and just try to be yourself, right? That's super cool. And Stride is known, as you say, for kind of being really pro-founders, really wanting to support founders in developing their startups and growing. They don't like to see themselves as, you know, your typical venture capital fund. Why did you join Stride of all places and what attracts you to the fund? Okay, that's an awesome question. I mean, every single fund says we're super founder friendly. We like to help out founders and so on. So it's a bit hard to make the differentiation just by the landing page on your website or something else. But there is a big, big difference between Stride and other funds when it comes to the approach in the industry. And there is a few other funds that have a similar approach, but we like to think ourselves as, as a bit as artisans. So... We're not a factory. We don't invest in hundreds of companies per year, or we don't really have a very, very targeted and focused strategy in which we invest in a very, very small number of companies each year, roughly 10 to 15. But those that we invest in, we really like to stay close to. So we come in as leading rounds. We take 
usually around 10% indicatively, but it very much depends on the cases. And we try to stay diligent on those standards because we want to work so closely with the founders on the things we can actually have an impact on. So because of this artisan's approach, I can actually say that it's not just a brand line, it's, it's something we generally do. I think that really attracted me to Stride. The fact that I had an environment where I can not only learn because of the panic that is going on and the fact that you got to invest and you got to be fast and everything, but I get a chance to dig deeper into the real thorough frameworks of how companies operate and how businesses are built. So not only looking how to get 100 startups to 10, but how to get from 10 to one startup. An additional reason why I decided to join Stride is also the fact that obviously in the fund there are Fred and Cleo, just extremely experienced industry leaders. Cleo was one of the first few people at Uber China, and she grew it up from zero to the $35 billion merger with Didi. She's a great operator and partner now at Stride. And Fred is a senior in the industry, worked all of his life at Excel and did amazing, amazing investments and Deliveroo, Zoopla, PillPack, and now also with Stride Kazoo. So getting the chance to work with these symbolic people was not something I really wanted to give up. And that's a great point, actually, Michelangelo. And I wanted to ask you, for someone who's looking for a job in VC, how do you decide exactly which fund you want to join? I mean, there's a great point about, like what you said, looking at who the leaders are. But as you mentioned, their websites sometimes can be quite similar. You can't really tell whether they're founder first, whether they have certain investment philosophies or team culture that you like. What is sort of the best way for someone outside looking in to decide that? Okay, that's a super, super smart question. The problem with this industry is that there is a massive lack of transparency. And I think this is probably the most pressing issue. So I can understand why someone coming from the outside can see things that are extremely uncertain. You don't really understand what's going on behind the scene. What I really recommend doing is dig deeper. So try to, yes, start broad, start to, you know, make a list of funds that exist and blah, blah, blah. But then start digging deeper. So go look at the Twitter profiles of the partners, go look at what they've written on Medium, go listen to them talk and speak and how they actually think and try to make up your own mind. Don't just take their word for it because their word would be just marketing, right? Most of the times. And it's not what you want to rely upon. So venture capitalists have a job which, and part of the job is to increase as much as possible the number of startups that they see. And in order to do that, a lot of venture capitalists choose to do interviews just like me right now, or choose to write medium posts or choose to, you know, be very public on Twitter. Twitter is actually a super powerful tool. So in my opinion, the best way is to cut the chase and just go directly to the partners or the influential people within the company and properly understand the reasoning behind the investments and so on. Obviously, without talking about industry filters and so on. First thing first, you got to understand what you want to do early stage, later stage, big investments, small investments, what type of investments, how many in what sector. All of these are very, very valuable questions, but do not forget to dig deeper. On early and later stages, actually, do you think it's important for someone who wants to get into a VC to know exactly which one they want to do? And perhaps, do you know if the role itself varies a lot, as well as whether the skills between one station to another is transferable? Yeah, I think they're definitely transferable, but they're extremely different. I think some of the skills you're going to be able to take along, especially 
there is a big, big number of investment bankers or XIB professionals who decide to make the jump to venture capital. And most of them will be able to transfer their skills into later stage investments because it's much more quantitative and data driven. And so you're able to put into practice all the modeling skills and Excel skills and, and data analysis skills that you've acquired by being in IB. But also my, my colleague Pietro, which is awesome, is my boss. <laughs> he started his career in IB and he keeps saying that it was actually super, super helpful to him because he got him to be able to become a machine. When he has to go through 200 emails and he has only a limited amount of time, he gets in machine mode. And I think that's something he believes he acquired throughout his IB years. So definitely a bunch of transferable skills, but they're very, very different disciplines. Early stage is my passion because you get a chance to forget about the numbers, to forget for a little while about all the noise and try to identify the meaningful signal. And so you utilize much more human connection. You try to understand how the mechanics and the vision and the whole story actually works. It's much more about narrative. It's much more about what's this person like? Is the person going to be able to create something incredible? How is the unlimited potential here? When a business is already established, it loses part of that magic for me, then it's definitely more interesting for other. But I'm in love with early stage investing and it's what I want to do. Not everybody has their preferences and ultimately there is no right answer. But yeah, I hope that answers it. And you mentioned transparency earlier on. The industry is quite closed off and there's this perception that most people in VC are, you know, as you mentioned, kind of ex-bankers, consultants, worked in a corporate for a couple of years and made the transition. But, you know, you went in straight after university. Do you think kind of an econ or finance background is necessary to kind of break into venture? No, I I don't think it's necessary to break into venture. I think it's probably helpful for your interview, though, uh, in the sense that, you know, they'll have a case study and they'll probably bombard you with a lot of data, even though you apply for an early stage investment role. That's what they did with me. <laughs> they bombarded me with a bunch of bunch of sheets and tried to figure it out. Is this a good investment or not? But ultimately, on the day-to-day job, it's not that relevant. It's one of the signals you look at. It's one of the things you try to understand and analyze. But in most cases, it's definitely not a necessary. I wouldn't say it's necessary. I would say it's a helpful addition. It's a helpful asset. If you want to go through the traditional hiring process, it's even more helpful because you're going to be able to talk and back your sentences with some real data. And sometimes that's helpful. But in the everyday, it's just different. It's not how we operate. Luckily for me, (laughs) I would add. For those who maybe don't necessarily come from that background, but especially at the early stages, want to kind of work with startups, is there any ways or advice you have for them on developing more technical skills to kind of get them past the interview stage? For the students that don't have that experience and need to acquire to get past the interview stage, ah, I don't know, it feels like it's so much work to do just to get through an interview. I would actually recommend to utilize that time. Unless you're very, if you're very, very interested in developing the technical skills, definitely go for it. It's going to be helpful. But if your goal is to get a job as soon as possible, I would probably suggest you to focus your skills into 
networking and doubling down on relationships and probably doing your research on what investing needs and what it looks like and, and sort of listening to even more podcasts and trying to build an awareness of the startup field rather than developing those technical and hard skills. Because ultimately, a passion and obsession for startups and being able to elaborate your thoughts around why a sector is booming and why a startup is doing so well and why this other one might not be so strong is the most important thing. So your ability to really elaborate and add something to the decision-making engine, which is a venture capital firm. That's super interesting. And I actually have perhaps a little bit more of a controversial question. A lot of the people that we spoke to mentioned that you need operator experience to get into VC or to move up in VC. So my question for you is, as an analyst, do you think you can go up the ladder? Ouch. <laughs> or do you have Ouch. to switch funds? <laughs> well, I'm extremely biased over here, so I don't think I'm the right person to ask this question. But I think it's, there is a strong correlation between ex-operators and good investors. For sure. You've seen how a firm works from the inside out. You've run it. You've done it. You've seen what it actually takes. You've been through it. I think that definitely adds as an investor so much in a useful signal. However, I don't think it's a must. And that's not just what I think. It's because there is proof of amazing investors who have outperformed other operator investors over and over again for multiple years. So there is no way I could argue differently. I think it's definitely an incredible value add, but it's not a must. There are dozens of examples of amazing investors who didn't have operational experience. So to answer your question about the analyst, look, I think it's obviously nice to get operational experience and some people should be operators and you should go for it. Why not? It's one of the things that does help. But not everybody, it's not for everybody to be an operator. You know, they're very, very different. It's not like if you're a good investor, you're a good operator. That doesn't translate so well, probably. You can be good operationally and not be a good operator. That's a tweet from a partner here at Stride, Fred Destin. So you can understand how it should work, but then if you actually have to do it, you could be crap at it. So I'm always thinking, how can I contribute as much as possible? And I don't think for me, maybe, I don't know, but it's not such an easy question to answer whether being an operator is the clear thing for me to do so. Well, if I spent the opportunity cost of becoming an operator is not getting more investment experience, which is tough. It's very helpful for me. The learning curve has been super steep. And you've mentioned kind of a learning curve. Jumping into VC must have been a challenge. You know, you probably don't have kind of the infrastructure that a graduate program would provide you in terms of learning. What's been your biggest challenge so far? And how have you kind of overcome it? My biggest challenge... I had so many challenges. Uh, if I had to identify one, it would be also probably one of the most positive aspects of this job, which is as a VC, sure, you work for a VC fund, but you are yourself. Like you are your own VC. You have to build yourself. You have to understand your own metrics. You have to understand your own models. Sure, you can take advantage of being close to some industry leaders and, and understand from them how to build those models. But you have to source your own deals. You have to get out there and build your own brand. You have to talk to the founders and ultimately they, other people can't do that for you. So you work with a firm, but while working for a firm and with the firm, you're also yourself all the time and your own VC. So being a venture capitalist, even though you may be an analyst, a soldier or whatever, 
you essentially are doing the big, big work and you're doing that alone. So that's the biggest challenge, becoming your own venture capitalist straight away as soon as it's like throwing a kid that needs to learn how to swim directly into the pool. And then say, say, yeah, go for it, swim, because it's such an individualistic journey. Obviously, I'm extremely thankful to my team. It's amazing when we come back together and there is the clash of perspectives, but the job itself is very individualistic. And I guess you only learn that over time and how to kind of be your own person in a professional sense over time. But you mentioned kind of network and brand a lot. And a lot of people say that network is one of the most important things in VC. It's a pretty small industry. And for students wanting to get in, do you have any advice on how to build your network as a student from the outside and kind of speak to people who seem to be, you know, on this high pedestal and seem to be amazing and you don't know how to kind of really engage with them and build a strong and meaningful relationships with people in the industry, which could in the long run help you. Of course, of course. Well, first thing first, I think network is helpful, but not necessarily for everybody. There are some VCs who have very different skills and their way of adding value is being technical experts, being extremely good at understanding a specific field, and they know it inside out, they know how it's evolving and the technical things. They don't necessarily need to waste time on network. They should be studying their fields and talking to the founders there and asking the really hard questions and have incredible amounts of respect for that. So I, I wouldn't say it's a must to have a strong network. I think it's definitely helpful for other types of VC, more like me and a few others. And those are also the ones you hear about most because they're the ones that are speaking louder. But it's a bit of a biased conclusion to just say, yeah, you necessarily need network because, yeah, you only hear about those that actually do have the network. But that's a fallacy. It's not true. However, to answer your question, how do you build that network as a student? First of all, I think got to take into account that there is a big component of patience in the sense that all your friends are going to circumnavigate you, circumdate you. How do you say it in English? Um, Circumvent. No, just get friends and go around with people that are, have the same passions as you that also want to get into startups. And all of you are going to grow together and build together. And at some point, some of them will be strong and they will do really good things. And so there is an aspect of it which is very natural. So I would almost recommend do not rush it because it's going to come quite naturally. But definitely be aware of the people that you're hanging out with. For me, it was a big, big switch when I started going to brunches. I started going to events uh, of student organizations and some smaller bubbles of people that think alike me sort of created naturally. And those were then the same people who now work at other VC funds or are starting amazing startup. My first investment that I led a stride actually came from a community of people that meets up every other week and we had branches together and that's a student organization. So as you can see, like the network comes naturally, but and it starts from your friends. So I wouldn't aim like don't necessarily go on LinkedIn and try to post. I mean, that's definitely helpful. And if it's your thing, you should definitely do it. But I think a, a simplest way to start is probably through your friends group. That's some great advice. And keeping on the student thread, a lot of people have lots of different conflicting pieces of advice on what you should do if you want to break into venture. Like some people say you should kind of develop a mock portfolio and really nail down mm -hmm. on a couple of certain industries and really gain deep knowledge and understanding of them. What's your thoughts on kind of that? I totally agree. I think there is no right answer. You should understand yourself. You should look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, 
where do I see myself adding most value to a firm that needs to take decisions on where to allocate their funds and their resources in a limited number of companies? So you literally, you try to come up with a scenario in your head of where you envision yourself in adding the most value. And that should give you a starting point to answer that question. But I don't think it's my place to tell anybody what they should be thinking of doing or adding value. Ultimately, it's a very, very young industry. It's not being around so long and it's changing so, so quickly. So much stuff is changing and shifting over time. And now we have tokenized assets, we have celebrity funds, we have single GP funds. We have all sorts of things revolutionizing the industry. So it's changing super quickly and I wouldn't be too stuck on the current models, but understand yourself and understand the kind of value you could potentially add and double down on that value. So yeah, I hope that answers it. Yeah, definitely. And I really like your point on value add. What do you think is your unique selling point or key value add? And how did you discover that actually? (laughs) That's a good question, putting me on the spot. But I think... I'm an extremely passionate person in the sense that I am able to fall in love with ideas very, very easily and I get captured by them and I will champion them and I will dig deep and I will try to understand how the mechanics work and I will talk to everybody about it and then I will be extremely excited about it and I won't forget about it for days and I will talk to everybody else about it and bring my informed opinion to then properly facilitate I'm also very, very happy to always talk to people and I'm very curious overall to interact and so on. So I think part of my value add is probably aligned with the very extrovert VC who tries to get out there and source deals and talk to people and build long-term relationships and then gets excited extremely easily and, and digs deep into what seems exciting. I'm lucky to have an element of good understanding of other people because of my acting background. That definitely got me to a level where I think I'm more interested into learning more about a person. And I try to allocate my resources so I'm able to do that. So during the call, I will actively try to understand what is this person thinking about actually? What is this conveying? I will not just forget about it and think about the business. A lot of my questions are actually try to understand what's going on behind the person's you know, thoughts. And so, yeah, those three things, I think, are my main value add. And how did I discover them? Well, as I was saying, you're thrown into the job and you got to figure it out very quickly. I kind of fell into venture capital. I wasn't planning on it. It's not like I decided I want to be a VC. I did the podcast and the guy offered me a job. So Mm -hmm. I definitely was not playing on it. I didn't even know it was an option, right? Like you're a student founder and uh, you don't think venture capital. I actually thought venture capital was evil. I was like, (laughs) you shouldn't take money from venture capitalists. You should bootstrap the business. And now I realize it's much more complex than that, right? There are different reasons why you could or should not take money from a venture capitalist. But at the time, I was so clueless. You know, if you are listening to this right now, you know you want to get into venture capital, that would be the starting point. But for me, it was very, very different. Yeah, I think that's super cool, Michael Angelo. And I do think that enthusiasm and empathy is some of the skills that is quite underrated, but is super important. And actually, one question I had was, you mentioned that perhaps VC isn't for everyone. What sort of people do you think is VC not for? Because I think everyone wants to get into VC, but at the same time, people know very little about it. So it'd be helpful to know what your thoughts are on this. Well, when I was building Waves, my co-founder is called Kourosh. Yeah, I don't think he would like being a VC at all in the sense that what he likes to do is 
just build. He wants to forget about the noise and just build something meaningful. And it's his craft. And he will sit down with his laptop and work hours over after hour after hour after hour on a product feature. And that's his love. That's what he loves doing. And ultimately, it's really not what I love doing. I got distracted so easily. I like the ideas, as I was saying. I like, oh, what if we did this? And what if we did that? Oh, I was the distraction over there. And he was the builder. So ultimately, I don't think being in VC is for everybody because some people just have other ways of contributing to this world. And I don't think anybody should give up the way that they're going to contribute most effectively just because maybe being a VC sounds good or sounds cool or pays well. I think that would be ridiculous. For sure. And in fact, a lot of people that I spoke to mentioned that you should never go into VC wanting to earn lots and lots of money because that's just simply not through at least at the analyst or associate level. Yeah, it's not. It's not. That's another fallacy. I can complain. But one thing I will say, though, it's that most VCs that I regard as really, really good VC and smart people and, and I really like in the industry, and actually it's a great, great portion, I think... They actually are really not in it for the money. I think most VCs over here that I really like are in it because they're passionate about this and they're VCs just because they know that they wouldn't be incredible founders or they just love being VCs because they get to see so much different stuff. Like, it's their excuse to get in the room with a founder. So they're VCs because they want to have an impact and they love seeing all sorts of things. They're super passionate about it and they want to help out founders. I don't think that's mean. I don't think that should be seen negatively. So, yeah, I mean, I will say that I think there is a bigger proportion of VCs that do it not because of the money, but because they generally like it. It's an interesting job. And it definitely sounds interesting and exciting, as you said. You said you like to drill down into the excitement. Is there any tech that you're really excited about or that you've been looking at recently that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I, more than tech, I would say there is the vertical of future of entertainment because of my background and because of what I come from. Uh, it's extremely exciting when I get some crazy ideas of how the world of entertainment could evolve, of how, you know, gaming could evolve, of how movies and podcasting can mix, or, or now I'm saying random words, but you know what I mean, the really, really bold ideas of how human experience will shift in the digital world, especially with a focus on entertainment. And I think right now, there is a, in this historical moment in time, there is an aligning with blockchain. And that gets me a lot, very, very excited. But ultimately, I've tried to dig down, and but it's so much is happening in the blockchain space that it's really, really hard to make sense of. Even though I've really tried and I've been trying, I'm still trying. <laughs> I can't really say I've, uh, I've nailed it yet. But aren't we all novices in the blockchain space? There's like something that changes every single day, <laughs> which takes everything up. But before we move on to kind of the quick fire round, I wanted to ask one last question, which was, what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to get into venture, if you could say that to them? I'm going to take someone else's piece of advice over here. This is not genuine. I'm repeating something, but I truly believe in it. And it would be listen to less advice. There's so much noise out there. There's so <laughs> much stuff. So just... Don't take everything as it's true. Just listen to less advice and sit with yourself and think about your, like, think yourself through how you can get there and then come up with a plan. I think that's much more valuable than constantly listening to the noise. There's so, so much. So a bit of silence, I think, could be helpful. 
VCs love speaking. Oh yes, we do. <laughs> awesome. So now we go into the quick fire round, where we basically have twenty to thirty seconds to answer each questions. Are you ready, Michelangelo? I'm extremely nervous. Extremely nervous. I panic with these kind of things, but let's do it. I'm ready. Go. Let's start maybe with your expertise then. As a movie and art expert, what is one movie that everyone must watch? I love Dogman. It's an Italian movie. It's incredible, and it's a movie about the normality that becomes absurdity. So living an extremely normal life, and this character goes from being Mister Nobody to becoming an absolute tragic novel on how he, everything unveils and everything goes downhill. So it's an incredible, incredible movie. You should watch it in Italian. If you're not Italian, use subtitles. It's amazing. That's super cool. So if you could live in any city in the world apart from London, where would it be? I would go to LA because I love the warmth. I think it's a magical place, and I've had this thing in my head since I was super, super young. I think it must be correlated to the acting thing. Plus, I, I really want to do some production work in the future and get back at acting at some point as well. So I think LA would be the move. Well, I guess that links to the next question. If you didn't go into venture or startups, what job would you be in? Would that be production? No, that would be acting. I would be. I would do acting right now. Probably be a failed actor, but I, I would at least be trying. That would be cool. And what is your go-to drink in the mornings? Vodka. No, in the morning. <laughs> well, depends how, how early. Uh, go-to drink in the morning. I try to fast. Actually, I think it, it actually works much much better. So I will say water. I break my fast with water. And perhaps one last one. What is your favorite resource, podcast, books, or newsletters to learn about VC? This podcast right here is the best resource that is available. No, that I constantly listen to. There is a bunch of podcasts. I will say, look, when I was doing my research, I have to mention 20VC. When I was doing my research, learning about Stride, I had to understand who built it. You know, Harry Stebbings and Fred Destin, what the reasoning was, what they were thinking and sort of their mentality. So I will say 20VC is the podcast to go to when you're trying to get a grasp of the industry, especially if you want to join Stride. <laughs> so in my case, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. We found everything you said so interesting and insightful, and hopefully our listeners did too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.